This is Gossam TV Podcast, episode 103, about Gossam, A Dark Night, which is season 4, episode 1, Pax Penguina. This is Victoria Cartagena. I play Renee Montoya on Gotham. Hey, this is Andrew Stewart-Jones. I play Christmas Allen on Gotham. This is Robin Lloyd-Taylor. I'm David Mazuz. Hey, Gotham TV podcast listeners. This is Maggie Gia, otherwise known as Poison Ivy. This is Drew Powell, and you're listening to Gotham TV podcast. Welcome back, old friends. Welcome back, new Gothamites. We are here for our episode about Gotham Season 4, Episode 1, Pax Penguina. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hi, I'm one of your other hosts, John. Yes, Pax Penguina. What a great return for Gotham uh, for season four. Great opener. Absolutely. Yeah, welcome uh, back, Gothamites and detectives. Uh, good to have you on board, those that are previous listeners. And of course, for any new listeners who are joining us as we follow Gotham at the US and Canadian pace, then that is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Gotham season four has arrived and is airing weekly now from September 21st. Yes, a Thursday. It's moved from its usual slot of Monday to Thursday. So, yes, we are all on board here. Absolutely, yes. Great to be back. What a great opener for the show. If you haven't joined us before, make sure you subscribe to the podcast over at gothamtvpodcast.com slash iTunes. Uh, that will give you every episode for this season. Uh, we'll be covering it weekly. Most episodes will be coming out on Sundays each week, uh, but we decided that we couldn't resist recording early on this episode. Absolutely. Uh, and of course, if you are an Android type person, then you can go to any other good podcast catcher. Just search for Gotham TV Podcast. Remember, please subscribe. And of course, as always, share the love um, to spread the word of Gotham TV Podcast. And of course, season four of Gotham. Um, Yes, if you are new to the podcast, then our usual uh, way of going through discussing each episode of Gotham is to pick the top five points or case notes uh, of the episode Uh, and to go through them. And yes, we have a great uh, five points for for this episode. And also, just so that you know, it will be a spoiler-filled review. And for this season of Gotham, we will be doing Moment of the Week, our new prize draw. So any of you who uh, want to uh, enter into the prize draw for a chance to be pulled out of the baseball cap, at the end of season four, which will be some way off now at this stage. Um, yes, please send in your moment of the week. It could be a line of dialogue. It could be a saying. It could be a scene. It could be a moment of pure Gotham loveliness. Or it could um, be a bullockism, just like we did last season. You can still send in your bullockisms, but we're opening up wider just so we don't depend on poor Harvey to give us absolutely, the, all the best lines. Absolutely. But you can send those into feedback at gothamtvpodcast.com. You can also send in a voicemail if you want uh, your lovely dulcet tones to air on the podcast. You can just go to Gotham TV Podcast and click on the right-hand side tab, leave voicemail. And you can leave up to 90 seconds of thoughts or comments. And even better yet, we have a Facebook group. So please come on over and join our Facebook group. Just go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash 
Gotham TV podcast. There are three little questions to answer um, before we approve anyone, just so that we know that you're not a bot. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. Please come over and join us for this season. We're looking forward to your interactions as much as each episode of the show. I think it's time to get into it though, John. Absolutely. Derek, what are some of the details for this episode? Well, much like the last three seasons, Danny Cannon is the director for this episode. He's directed each of the first episode from every season right back to the pilot. And the episode was written by John Stevens, one of the other executive producers for Gotham, written about uh, 17 episodes so far and worked on the on the premiere of season three with Danny Cannon as the director. Yeah, cool. Um, the two, two pillars of Gotham um, in terms of the series here, yeah. uh, director Danny Cannon and writer... And executive producer uh, John Stevens, or part showrunner as well, I suppose, yeah. along with uh, with Danny and with Bruno Heller. Yeah. So, yeah, really good to see the big guns out, so to speak. <laughs> Absolutely. John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with the synopsis for the episode? Absolutely. Jim Gordon fears Jonathan Crane is still alive and back in Gotham when the Scarecrow's signature MO is used in a series of robberies. Meanwhile, Penguin's licensing of crime in the city backfires during the grand opening of his new Iceberg Lounge. Both the Scarecrow's MO and Penguin's new Iceberg Lounge collide as Penguin is attacked by the outlaws who refuse to be licensed by Penguin. Also, in the aftermath of his encounter with Rachel Ghoul, Bruce Wayne begins his vigilante watch. As Bruce Wayne, the Penguin... And the outlaws collide in the Iceberg Lounge. A new fearful villain is born in Gotham. A very short synopsis this time because we want to kind of keep it for the points. So much going on. Yeah, short and sweet, short and sweet. I'm sure it will get longer as the season continues. I'm sure, I'm sure. Let's go on to case note number one, Penguin's license of misconduct. Yeah, so Penguin is issuing licenses to perform acts of misconduct uh, in Gotham. Mm. Yes, um, and Bruce Wayne comes across this as we um, have the opening of season four, where he is stood atop the building, saving um, another couple from um, muggers who have been given one of these licenses by Penguin. And mm-hmm. um, so this is Bruce Wayne suddenly investigating this this new way of conducting crime in, in Gotham. But one of the other great things about this is we have Victor Zazback as the enforcer of these licenses. It was so cool to see Victor Zazback in. Um, just great little one-liners, really kind of just almost away with the fairies kind of thing. He's just such a good... And presence and delivery about how he does it, you know, almost softly spoken yet with, um, with packing a, a pretty large punch uh, as we see this opening wedding uh, and he shoots off the finger of one of the outlaws here um, that have not received one of the licenses. Yeah. But this is purely to allow people who have a license to come into town and to this wedding to to steal from the bride and bridegroom as well. So, Absolutely. yeah, really, really cool. I mean, an interesting thing to do. Um, like, what do you, do you think about this idea of the licenses? It's really interesting, isn't it? It's a very Gotham concept, yeah, really. Yeah. yeah, but it really, weirdly, it struck me as something from um, from The Wire transferred again into Gotham. I've talked about this before, that there is a little connection between some of the things that happened in The Wire, the TV show. And this kind of reminds me of Amsterdam. I think it was season three of The Wire, where they came up with this idea of legalizing drugs in a certain area of the city to keep the 
the numbers low effectively was the concept. But this is transferred into Gotham, so it has to be a little crazier, a little weirder. Um, I love how Zaz is introducing this to the city. He's the one that that's that's uh, introducing the concept of licensed. Uh, a licensed holdup of the wedding. I think it's really funny. The idea as well that's used in there of Rick rolling. Do you remember this yeah. from, from the internet where um, you'd click on a link of something that you wanted and you'd end off getting Rick Astley's never going to give you up played uh, for you. This wedding scene starts with the wedding band playing that song, never going to give you up. The concept here is that effectively Zaz is coming in and telling the bride and groom what they want, which is you've been saved from being attacked, but he is Rick rolling them by getting another gang with a license to attack them, which I love. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was really, really good. And I mean, it also does hark back to season one of Gotham with Falcone sort of talking about this balance between law and order mm-hmm. and the the crime families of Gotham, that there there is some balance here, some deal to be struck. Um, and here we have Penguin striking a, a deal with the, the new mayor, I presume, here, yeah. uh, with... A commissioner that we haven't seen before. So really uh, interesting to see, but it definitely as well harks back to Penguin uh, from season three talking about, you know, criminals used to have a code. Um, yeah. Where he's, he's really reminiscing about life under, um, under Falcone and, uh, and even Fish Mooney to some extent. So yeah. uh, it, it's, it's really um, sort of, it's, Coming back to square one to some extent of, of Gotham and, and seeing that Jim's approach really led to chaos um, and <laughs> hasn't um, has almost been reset back to uh, but just with the Penguin rather than Falcone and Maroni and Fish Mooney. That's right. Yeah, we did mention at the end of our season three coverage that it did kind of feel like they could have finished Gotham there. They could have ended the story there and and continued on, uh, leaving it hanging with the, with those threads there. This does feel like a little bit of a reset button. Everybody's back to their first situations with a lot of people in even more power like the Penguin here it's in serious power state, even though he's no longer the mayor. He's now been in control of the underworld of Gotham for three months, uh, as Harvey Bullock says later on in the episode. But um, yeah, really interesting idea to have the uh, the licensing of misconduct. Um, also reminded me a little bit of... Uh, of the license to misbehave from um, from Harry Potter, but uh, <laughs> but Gotham reminds me of so much stuff. Absolutely, I think case point number two, mm-hmm. uh, Bruce's choice um, that is really given to him by Alfred. Prepare for racial ghoul or make Gotham safer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have one chance, Bruce. You have one chance. <laughs> I love um, that. That's his first line. It's a real Batman line. As yeah. he comes down to confront the uh, these licensed criminals in Gotham. You have one chance. It's a real a real Batman line. Great moment. Really is, and I, I think another great Alfred line in in uh, this episode was, you know, there is a time for the mask and there is a time for Bruce Wayne mm. when they're both at the opening of the Iceberg Lounge is really kind of um, undercurrents of what Batman will become. Um, But we certainly see here Bruce um, starting to at least make Gotham safer. That's certainly what he's trying to do um, by protecting couples, families from muggers. But we do see Rachel Ghoul um, appear uh, in the doorway of of one of the stairwells on the outside of one of the the buildings there. So just a reminder that he's still out there, that he has um, survived uh, and he will play a big part here 
again, in Bruce's development. Yeah. He seemed to be quite proud that Bruce was um, tackling the muggers there. Uh, so, I mean, to some extent, he is doing what Raish wants, which is protecting. I suppose Raish has a larger plan to protect Gotham, which ultimately was to destroy it yeah. and, and rebuild. But here... I would say he's like, yes, baby steps, little steps to, <laughs> to being my heir. I know, uh, yeah. you know, so. He does seem very proud. Um, I do like this as well that we, we had again talked about in the lead up to season four that this season is supposed to explore Bruce's journey again, getting closer to the Batman. This season is all about the vigilante side. What I was really impressed with in this episode is how much David Mazus is playing the Mr. Wayne part of his, um, of his psyche of the other, the other, uh, mask that he wears, really, the Mr. Wayne mask. It's interesting that Mr. Penguin comes up to him, which Bruce calls him Mr. Penguin, not Mr. Cobblepot. So yes. that was interesting. But when he comes up to him, he says, Mr. Wayne. It's no longer Master Wayne anymore. Um, there's some great moments in here where you really feel that he is now taking on the mantle of the billionaire playboy. Um, he has a great moment with Selena where he says to her, Definitely. Um, Your dress looks really nice tonight. It's a nice compliment coming from Bruce. As he walks away, he's not looking for anything more from it. It's just a nice little moment where he's growing into this persona of the billionaire playboy. Yeah, it was good to have Bruce and Selena kind of make up, really, and have Bruce apologize for the the, the slight split there in the hospital where, yeah. I mean, you know, Bruce was emotional, and so uh, he really didn't give Selena a chance there. But it was good that he, he kind of climbs up beside her on, on the wall at the top of the building mm. and sort of plays along with her, but, you know, is apologetic to her. I do like Alfred's... Uh, Point where he says, "Why can't you just go to the cinema like uh, <laughs> like normal teenagers kind of thing?" Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really good. But I think one of the really interesting things here is we do see Bruce, um, in a bit of a cliffhanger, really, um, getting caught. He falls through. He he manages to get the the bookkeeper's list that contains. <laughs> All the criminals that have a license. Yes. Um, from Mr. Penn, Oswald's administrator, I suppose. Yep. Um, and he is sort of following up on that, but falls through a, a roof window. And uh, the thieves are effectively startled, but just at the same time that the GCPD is racing on in to capture and arrest them all which I presume is against um, the deal that Penguin struck with the, the mayor previously. Unless they're not licensed. Yes, unless they're not licensed. So, But he does get caught in, in the headlights here. Um, it's one of the scenes actually from the trailer for Gotham. So it'd be interesting what's going to happen there. It's a nice little uh, early cliffhanger for Bruce in this vigilante role that mm. he has in effect been identified and caught... Um, by the GCPD here. So I suspect that might explain some of the, uh, the scenes from the trailer as well with Alfred Bruce and Lucius Fox uh, and Lucius asking about whether he's been caught in a fight or not. Yeah. I wonder if it will lead to that. 
Um, I certainly hope so. Yeah, very intrigued to see that next week. I'm just wondering if um, if Mr. Penn, the bookkeeper, was hired because of his name. Probably. He's certainly not very good at protecting his stuff um, for the bank when he holds up the piece of paper that the vigilante is looking for directly in front of him and doesn't expect it to be taken away from him. Yeah. Very silly. Hopefully, like any other good bureaucrat, he has a copy of it. <laughs> or maybe he, it's also held electronically. It's probably um, in triplicate. You know? Probably in triplicate. I think another good thing as well for for this um, new season. Bruce's disappearing acts here, I think, are very, very cool. And particularly the one where he's in the GCPD with, with Jim. It is that kind of classic, what? Who? Where, where's he gone? Um, <laughs> really, really enjoyed Especially that. Especially because he invites him to dinner and doesn't even hear Jim say, well, tonight too. Um, you know. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it was really good. And again, a nod to that idea that the Batman just appears um, yeah. and then disappears as, okay. as he wishes um, when the Bat symbol is on the roof of the GCPD in the far future. Absolutely. Um, so really uh, nice just to get that little nod of the disappearing act, uh, really. Can I just say that's perfectly played by Ben McKenzie, as you say, <laughs> yeah. that the reaction on his face is so perfect to the disappearance of Bruce. What I'm really wondering about the stuff with the vigilante Bruce Wayne is, is this going to put him on the path versus Penguin in this season? The fact that he's going out and, and beating up criminals who are now licensed by the Penguin, will that put him on a path versus Victor's Az and Oswald Cobblepot this season? Kind of intrigued by that, since Jim's already on the list versus the Penguin, um, you would assume that Bruce will eventually be on the list or this vigilante and, and Penguin will be trying to track him down later on in the season. Definitely. I think as well, will it be that uh, Jim recognises this disappearing act as well um, that Bruce has started doing when the Batman really arrives? <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, he was very good to recognise the Scarecrow and Jonathan Crane's father's MO, uh, which I think leads us nicely onto our case note three. Oh, yes. The fear toxin Jonathan Crane returns and the Scarecrow arrives. Yes. Yes. This, for me, I, I just thought it was fantastic. I'm so glad that Jonathan Crane is back in here. It was two two episodes um, looking at uh, the young Jonathan Crane and his father uh, and the, the fear toxin in a way to try and overcome fear from season one. It's right back to season yeah, one. Yeah, it was episode 14 and 15 of season one, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I just thought Charlie Tahan really uh, captured a, a sort of young and sort of fearful and oppressed kid really, really well, bowing to the will of his father and, and wanting it to be, but not enjoying the process. And I think... Um, he is such a good actor, and I think his his performance as Jonathan Crane, I just loved. He he does absolute fear really, really well. Um, some great, great scenes in here where he's being uh, taken from uh, Arkham Asylum, which we see here with 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 a kind of a, a charcoal smudge of the scarecrow uh, drawn onto the floor of the yeah. cell, which was really cool. Very cool. Um, you have him being tortured by having the presence of a, a scarecrow from his, his old home at the, whilst the outlaws here who are trying to get at the penguin, um, and, and his licensing are, are getting him to manufacture his father's fear toxin for their use. 
in, in the crimes that they do. Um, you know, he's really being tortured here. And I, I just thought uh, all the effects around um, this character just absolutely great. Um, well, that bank job scene where you kind of see a zombie version of Merton, the leader of the of the outlaws, as we're calling them, or Merton's gang, and um, where you see him transform into kind of a zombie uh, version of himself as he screams into the face of one of the one of the people in the bank. It's very cool. The actor that plays um, Merton is actually uh, Michael Buscemi, he's Steve Buscemi's brother, so that's ah, why he looks so familiar. Yeah, okay. Uh, and there's something in his voice as well that's really similar to Steve Buscemi's voice, which I always thought was really unique. Yeah, and the new head of um, Arkham Asylum uh, the guy, um, he looks familiar as well, and yes. I just can't get his name as well. Um, so, I, yeah, if anyone knows who plays the new head of Arkham Asylum, it'd be really good to know because he's definitely got a familiar face. I'm yeah. sure I've seen him in something before. As, as, a, as with a lot of the, the characters are on Gotham that are playing kind of uh, supporting characters. Mm-hmm. Um, so it would be interesting to know. But yeah, I mean, we also get the Penguin being exposed to this fear toxin as yes. well. And I'm there kind of going, how is this going to affect the Penguin? I mean, again, seeing that kind of zombie version of Ed Nigma or the Riddler was absolutely Cool, but I actually wasn't expecting Penguin to be hit with the fear toxin at all. So is this going to make him even more psychotic? Because is there going to be some kind of long-lasting effect here on the Penguin from exposure to this? Or is this much more um, a single dose and you get over it? Yeah. Because Jonathan has been exposed to way more than he should have been, and that's had a lasting effect. Mm-hmm. To the point where, um, you know, he's holed up in, in, um, the outlaw's apartment, sort of in a broom closet almost with the scarecrow. Um, what a great scene. What a great way to introduce the scarecrow. Um, Jonathan Crane isn't here anymore. It's just the scarecrow. What I love the tone of the voice that they did as well. Um, it was really, really good. Uh, I am so pleased for the Scarecrow to be in Gotham and, and to have Charlie Tahan back at playing the role uh, as Jonathan Crane and the Scarecrow. Yeah, Scarecrow is one of your favourite Batman villains, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I, I, it was only really from Batman Begins and I really started to get into the Scarecrow. I loved what Chris Nolan did uh, and obviously with Killian Murphy playing um, him, really, really good. Yeah. And, I kind of then got into the character and really uh, through the comics. Um, and I do think that Charlie Tahan has done a fantastic job here. Um, so I'm really pleased for this. I'd love to see how they sort of balance. Is it just going to be the Scarecrow from now on at this moment in time? Mm. Or will they balance it where there is a Jonathan Crane as well? Just so that we... It's almost like the anti-Bruce Wayne here, you know, that... He's able to control the fear and, and operate as Jonathan Crane, but then he, his alter ego is the Scarecrow. Um, it would be good to have that sort of dual approach to this character, I yeah. think. And um, because I think Charlie Tahan is such a good actor, uh, as Jonathan Crane and the Scarecrow, it'd be great to see both sides of this character, yeah. I think. Yeah, that would be really interesting. I wonder if it's like if he's in a really stressful situation that the scarecrow comes out because my, he really is put under so much stress in this episode. He's forced to watch the thing that's been scaring him for years in his dreams. He's forced to have the actual scarecrow from his father's house staring at him while he works all the time and have 
what he's seeing is the screaming face on fire of the scarecrow, you know? That's really, really tough. The other thing I was wondering about, you mentioned about voices. I'm wondering, did they bring back the actor who played his father to do just that voice, or did they take it from season one um, to calling out saying Jonathan, Jonathan to him? I'm wondering if that's the father's voice that they used from season one. I have to check that again. Yeah, absolutely. Really, really interesting. Um, but another character who is developing uh, as we move on to point four is Selena Kyle. Selena is in training here and um, with Tabitha and she's got some really kick-ass moves. I love how this kind of reflects um, Bruce's scenes as, as the vigilante where she's attacking a, a gang in an alleyway. Yeah. Um, really, really good. Um, and she certainly hands it to them on a plate and has all the moves here. Uh, really, really cool. Uh, but it's a training exercise with Tabitha overseeing. Um, she does call out a, a, a slight, you know, a, a slight fault that Selena does. Don't turn your back on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, make sure you have accounted for every one of these slugs with a good old whip, crowbar to the face, <laughs> leg kick punch, whatever it is, to knock them down and take them out. Yeah, I've mentioned before that we've played the Arkham games on the PlayStation um, many times. I'm a huge fan of those games. This is such like a scene taken directly from Arkham Knight, the game where you're playing as Selina Kyle uh, for a lot of the game. You can hear, even hear in the whip cracks, it sounds like they, they took those directly from the game. So it's really cool to see... Cameron Bicandova used her dance moves really in this scene. I know she did a lot of work and I know she has a stunt double as well, obviously for a lot of these scenes, but I know as a dancer, she, her moves work so well as Selena Kyle, the Catwoman in this episode. It's really cool to see it coming, coming out. Definitely. But we also see that Selena and Tabitha, you know, have fallen, that Penguin has taken the Sirens Club, that the Iceberg Lounge is the Sirens Club. Yeah. And that they're slightly on the back foot. And that, you know, Selena is wanting to move on up in the world, but she's suddenly taken, what, two steps backwards um, yeah. here. But we have the arrival of Zaz again uh, to say that, you know, bygones will be bygones and that Penguin wants to offer Tabitha uh, a license to conduct misconduct in, in Gotham. A little bit. It's kind of if you bend the knee. It's a little bit yeah, Game of Thrones. It is, yeah, definitely. Come and kiss the ring and tell them that you will follow Oswald from now on. And Tabitha's not willing to do that. Tabitha has been led so many times by her brother, then following by Barbara, and she doesn't want to get into that situation again. So interesting to see how that will play out. Definitely. But at the Iceberg Lounge opening, moving on to our fifth point, she does bend the knee. She arrives to come and claim her license with Selena, although Selena is unaware that Tabitha is going to do this. But Selena, the sort of working for the both of them, goes to try and get that license. But ultimately, they get it here, or we assume they do, because so much um, goes on then in this opening of the Iceberg Lounge. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have that great scene between um, Bruce Wayne and Penguin, uh, really were... He, he's really schmoozing up to the Penguin um, and the Penguin, obviously, to Bruce Wayne to have that sort of status of him being there. Um, but it's also, so good, yeah. yeah, really, really cool. And, of course, just then trying to get the information of who has the list of licensees um, is, is really cool. Um, I, and it's a great way to see Bruce Wayne and how he's going to investigate and operate uh, as Bruce Wayne, you know, 
even though there is the time for Bruce Wayne, he's still got his Batman um, in the shadows there, or his vigilante at this moment, uh, really trying to squeeze as much information out of Penguin as possible. But it's really, really good. And we have a Bruce standing up to Oswald as well. Absolutely, yeah. That's really interesting to see Bruce um, try and protect the lives of these of these criminals. He wants them arrested. He wants them sent to uh, to prison. He doesn't want them taken out and killed in front of everybody because that's totally against Bruce's attitude. Um, I love the kind of line that he says to Oswald where he's saying, I do agree with your methods because if these were around three years ago, my parents would still be alive. Um, he doesn't really agree with them. He's just trying to show Oswald that he's on his side so that he can get more information out of him. But I have to say, David Mazus in this episode, he really has grown into this role so much. Big time. So good as as Bruce Wayne in this episode. Really enjoy he's, seeing him. Yeah, he's excellent. Um, and the moment with Jim where he's where he's effectively using his detective skills and saying to him, well, I looked and studied over the license. I see there's a number on there and that number is what indicates that these are the number of licenses issued. Therefore, that means that if you get the list, then you know exactly how many criminals there are and you can prevent future crimes because those licenses will have to be issued in advance. It's a cool little moment, which is something that Jim didn't think of at all. And he's the detective. So showing that Batman is the greatest detective in Gotham. Yeah, uh, but we have um, the party rudely interrupted by the outlaws here mm. with their fear toxin. They seem to be foiled at one point, but it's only when Bruce stands up to Oswald uh, that they are able to um, sort of come back at the Penguin really here. And Oswald, obviously, as we've said, gets sprayed directly in the face and sees the return of Ed Nigma. Probably it is a, a foreshadowing of what is to come. Uh, we do have the lovely frozen Ed uh, in all his ice cube glory in the middle of the Iceberg Lounge. That's quite an interesting one, isn't it? So the, the way that Oswald describes that is effectively what happened to Victor Fry's wife. Um, so Victor Fry's in the comic books, his wife is still alive and he's, she's always kept on ice because she's got a disease that he's trying to cure. In this case, we have Oswald telling the reporters that Ed has a rare brain disease that can, that doesn't have a cure at the moment. So he's put him on ice so that when he finds a cure of it, he'll thaw him out and cure him. So very similar to the origin story of Victor Freeze and why his wife is always kept on ice. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, there's that great moment earlier on uh, in the episode with Ivy Pepper and Ed uh, <laughs> looking at the, the, the frozen statue of of Ed Nigma where uh, Oswald is, is, is almost being philosophical. He, he's kind of, I don't know which one of us is frozen. Maybe we're both frozen. Um, to, to which Ivy returns with, no, he's frozen. He's the one that's frozen. That's <laughs> such a great line. And Oswald has to kind of go, Ivy, please go away. I need a moment here. I'm, yeah. I'm having a moment, uh, a philosophical Oswald moment. Uh, what a really... A, a nice little humorous kind of little scene. It was really, really cool. Maggie had really just played that character of the 15-year-old in the body of, a, yeah, of an early absolutely. 20s woman. She plays that part so well. I'm so glad she's joined the cast. She's really good at it. Um, it does explain why she turns off the lights a little bit later on. She's not being involved in the party. She's supposed to be the right-hand woman of Oswald, yet she gets pushed away so many times, and he takes credit for everything that's going on. So... She's when she gets scorned, she goes off and does something really silly, which yeah. is to switch off the lights when you have these guys still carrying the fear toxin around their necks. If it wasn't for her turning off the lights, 
this wouldn't have happened at the end. He wouldn't have been sprayed in the face by the fear toxin. So be careful about ivy pepper around you. <laughs> uh, anything else on the Iceberg Lounge, John? No, I think that's it. It's just great to have the Iceberg Lounge in Gotham. You know, we've had the, the Umbrella Club. We've had Fish Mooney's Club. And now we've had the Sirens as well. So in, in a great tradition of sort of dodgy upmarket uh, music and drink clubs uh-huh. uh, in Gotham. We finally have the the king of all of them, the Iceberg Lounge. So really good to to see that as the main bar in Gotham. It's a cool looking place. Hopefully, we'll get to spend some more time in there. And um, as we mentioned earlier on, our moment of the week, our Gotham moment of the week, is our new competition. Fair few moments to choose from from this episode. Uh, just have to start off with the bullockism, since that was our uh, our bullockism competition last season. We had a bullockism moment of. Uh, every episode. Um, I did love Bullock talking to the head of Arkham Asylum saying to him, I run a precinct. If half my cops show up, I'd be none the wiser. And Jim goes, uh, yeah, that's actually right. <laughs> so um, saying again that poor little Harvey Bullock has no idea what's going on in front of him. Definitely. I, I love the moment of uh, Penguin and Ivy in front of Frozen Ed. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know, it was just a nice little humorous sort of Scene between the two of them, and um, but I think for me, it, the the moment of the week is Jonathan Crane becoming the Scarecrow. Such a great character within the Gotham worlds, within uh, the DC comics, um, and to see uh, the Scarecrow come to life to be this counterpoint really uh, to the Penguin. Uh, you know, can you really see him working with the Penguin moving forward? If Penguin is even sort of uh, compass mentis, given he's been sprayed with the fear toxin, you know, and is it that he, it becomes this huge um, villain of of the piece, um, given that I suspect there will be no rules, regulations or licenses that will be able to hold him. And so it'll be interesting. And again, it, it, it comes as to, will it just be the Scarecrow? Have we lost Jonathan Crane or will there be this alter ego element here as well? Yeah, like, like we got in Batman Begins and like we see in some of the comics as well. That is absolutely the moment of the week. Without a doubt, that, that trans, transfer into the Scarecrow is absolutely great. I do wonder if, remember in season three, we did see Oswald was visualizing Ed, uh, many times. Uh, he was seeing him talking to him in the in the same room. I wonder if this spray in the face of the toxin will lead him to visualize this really scary version of Ed um, a couple of times before we see Ed back in the show. Uh, very cool. But one other line uh, from the episode, which I just absolutely love because there's nothing more Gotham than the way Victor Zaz explains to Tabitha why Oswald took everything back, which is... Well, you killed his mom and then tried to kill him. So will we call it even? <laughs> yeah. And I think another one for me is I love Victor Zaz. I, I think um, really good character. Thought slightly underused last season. It was great to see him central in this episode. Yeah. And I hope they keep him around for a lot longer. Um, but I do like um, Jim and uh, Harvey's conversation about how would you describe Victor Zaz, Jim? a knife-wielding maniac and a sadist uh, as they're discussing this with the the new um, head of Arkham Asylum in a new Arkham Asylum as well gotcha. next to the, the river or, or the bay now. So uh, really interesting, yeah. Yeah, very cool. And if you want to send in your Gotham moment of the week, just email us at feedback at 
gothamtvpodcast.com or as John mentioned earlier on you can leave a voicemail over at gothamtvpodcast.com just click on the send voicemail button to send uh, your Gotham moment of the week and you'll be entered into our prize draw to win a prize uh, to be determined uh, later on in the season yes absolutely so then Derek are there any notes that you've got uh, remaining for this episode I mentioned most of them throughout the episode but one that I did like is the Pax Romani versus Pax Penguina this concept that Caesar set up Many, many years of peace or peaceful times in Rome under the Pax Romani. And now we have Pax Penguina coming to Gotham. Many, many years of sort of peace, at least controlled by uh, by Penguin. Yes, a 57% reduction of crime peace. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Really liked it. But the other thing that I thought was interesting, just a nice little touch from the writers here. Obviously, Caesar was an emperor in Rome and we do have Penguin would be the Emperor Penguin, which I like. So, yes. so he's gone from uh, from the King of Gotham to the Mayor of Gotham and now possibly the Emperor Penguin of Gotham. Definitely. John, overall, what do you think of the episode? I thought this was a fantastic opener for Gotham. Um, I think it's really built on the quality of season three. I absolutely loved it. Again, um, it was shooting about all over the place with different characters, introducing new characters, previous characters that are now coming back. Um, so this was really, really good. Again, the, you know, the, the use of the CGI and some of the establishing shots across uh, New York as Gotham, really, really cool and um, great to see Penguin back. I loved um, Jim here at, you know, going up against Penguin, having the, the moment with uh, Harvey about, you know, whether this whole licensing thing, this arrangement is is right. You know, he's getting beaten up by his colleagues in the GCPD locker room. And um, we have um, Bruce really coming of age here. Uh, again, his relationship with Alfred, absolutely fantastic. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, he's caught at the end. Uh, and I think... Victor Zaz, um, fantastic here throughout, um, you know, just being interspersed throughout this episode. And then Jonathan Crane and the Scarecrow coming in. This to me was a really, really great opening, uh, for, for the season four of Gotham. And that's why I would give it four and a half Scarecrows. Out of five. Absolutely. Oh, that's a really good score. Yeah, definitely. I, I'm, I'm definitely on your side there. One thing I do want to say, what that, what I think they've done so well in this episode, is they've reintroduced Gotham really well here. If you're one of those people that dropped off after three episodes because you didn't want to see the early years of some of these characters and wanted to jump back in to see what this show is doing for the Batman mythos and for the villains of Gotham. This is a great episode to jump back on board with. You've missed definitely. Some, you've missed some fantastic episodes. Go back and watch season three if you if you haven't seen it. Um, but if you jumped on on Gotham season four and see the characters as they are now, you'd definitely be able to get back on board really quickly. And this is a great episode for that. So well done to all of the writers involved in the show and, and all the actors involved in the show. They've done a great job to kick us back off on a new on a new day, on a new time slot. Um, on to season four. So enjoyed it. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Yeah, we have no feedback for this episode, but any feedback that comes in uh, for episode one, any thoughts, comments, or discussion points that come in, um, we will obviously bring up uh, for our feedback section uh, in episode two. Remember, as always, the channels for this, you can come in with email at feedback at gothamtvpodcast.com. You can join our Facebook group uh, just go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Gotham TV podcast. And you can follow us on Twitter 
at Gotham TV Podcast. Uh, and of course, if you want to hear your own voice on the podcast, you can send in a voicemail as well through the Gotham TV podcast.com website. And please remember to um, subscribe to the podcast, review us, share the love. Uh, as always, you can go for Apple Podcasts, just go to gothamtvpodcast.com forward slash iTunes, or just search Gotham TV Podcast in any other good or evil podcast catcher for Android devices. Absolutely. The reason why we don't have any feedback this time is because we're recording so soon after the episode has aired. Uh, if you want to send in your feedback next time, we will be recording usually on usually on Saturdays for the episode to be released on Sunday. So you absolutely will have time to get in your thoughts about each episode of Gotham for the rest of the season. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back for next episode, The Fear Reaper, which airs on the 28th of September. Absolutely. Thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, and we will speak with you again next time. Thank you again, old friends. Bye. This is Victoria Cartagena. I play Renee Montoya on Gotham. Hey, this is Andrew Stewart-Jones. I play Christmas Allen on Gotham. This is Robin Lloyd-Taylor. I'm David Mazuz. Hey, Gotham TV podcast listeners. This is Maggie Gia, otherwise known as Poison Ivy. This is Drew Powell, and you're listening to Gotham TV podcast.